This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3619 for Thursday, the 16th of June, 2022. Today's show is entitled, Linux in Laws Sai, Kubernetes and Friends and Sarah. It is hosted by Monochromic and is about 68 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is, the fun continues with a discussion of container orchestration frameworks, death of containers, and is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. This is Linux in Laws, season something episode 59 if martin reminds me correctly mm. martin how are things yeah not too bad not too bad Ac well excellent, it could excellent. be a lot worse if you're living in a certain part of the world but yeah so all good over here how are you ah well surviving i suppose <laughs> surviving all limbs attached still our limbs attached, yes. The, the last body count um, showed that I'm somewhat... Body count? <laughs> How many bodies Sorry, body, sorry body, body count count? <laughs> is this something in your cellar that we shouldn't ask about? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Martin, you shouldn't. Anyway, uh, okay. so how's the kingdom doing these days? The kingdom, the Dutch kingdom, yes. yes. No, um, no, 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 no. Well, not the, but that used to be called the United of Kingdom, or sorry, United Kingdom, anyway. Ah, that's actually not but a good name, is it? Because we have a queen, so it should be the United Kingdom, but there yeah. we go. I suppose they didn't bother uh, well, changing United, the name. Yeah, United is probably kind of in, in, what's the word I'm looking for? Exaggeration these days. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's, 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 it's called Little Britain. That's not completely We, we still right? have Please some in the show notes. Some um, some Welsh people and some Scottish people attached to, to the UK. Yes. So. Um, well, on the, on the, on the, um, yes, uh, talking about uh, countries and stuff. How is your... Uh, have you? How smelly are you? How smelly am I? Mm. Well, surely you've stopped taking showers yeah. and using gas and stuff like that. But, yeah. <laughs> Martin, of course, is referring to <laughs> the Second World War, but I'm not that old, Martin. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm no, okay. No, no. I'm okay. No, no, I'm, I'm referring to your yeah the 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 need to use less gas. This when I. I was over in Holland, they had adverts saying, oh, yeah, take shorter showers and 
uh, ah, the because of the Russian. Ah, yes, I see. Yes, I see. Yes, I see. Yes, yes. Uh, no, I'm still living. The, I'm, I'm still living with. Uh, the, what's what I'm looking for? High life, exactly. So <laughs> somebody, somebody has to support Putin. No, <laughs> uh, well, that's debatable. But... <laughs> I don't know. Does anybody does anybody actually support it? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a very valid question indeed. No, no. As a matter of fact, I haven't seen these ads that people. I mean, is is it is it really rolling in the in the Netherlands? As in, you should uh, you should cut down on energy on, yeah, on, yeah. on, on energy consumption. Okay. No, at least not here in Germany. Okay. But then. This then, whole thing is quite cool anyway, because on the one side, we're paying Russia billions, I hmm. think, if on a given day, maybe in a week, for hmm. gas and to some extent also oil. But at the same time, apparently, we are funding the, 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 um, the, the Ukrainians with an elaborate scheme of hmm. weapon exchanges. Probably not quite to the same monetary amount, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much how much the federal government has committed in terms of billions being poured into this, but apparently the, the deal is that the Ukrainians get Russian heavy artillery from some other countries, hmm. and in turn Germany gives give these other other countries modern stuff as a modern kit. Ah, okay. Which is handy. Trading deal. Yeah, okay. Exactly, because, Tra- because trading your tank deal. <laughs> exactly, because the existing kit is of course of Russian origin. Right. right. <laughs> this yeah. is the irony of things. <laughs> hmm. Oh well. Which is um... clever because you see the Russians in that case do not know who they who they are who they are facing. <laughs> what is if it, if it's our Russian kit? What yeah, the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. But no, they, they not... still have plenty of spares as well. That's quite handy. <laughs> yes, but of course, this is not the current affairs podcast. Uh, no, it is not. <laughs> Funny no. enough, no. This is actually the um, what's the, what's the word? Uh, what's the, what's the name I'm looking for? Linux in laws podcast. That's on. Yes, yes. One of the leading. Yeah. I know it's been a while. <laughs> yes, uh, podcast. It's the fastest on growing one, uh, surely. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hacker Public Radio uh, stats or not? Can you feel listening? Thank you for hosting. Oh, us. they're doing stats now. No, they're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just hopeful for a moment. As we all know, downloads and, and website imprints are voodoo anyway, so no sweat. <laughs> Indeed. So, today's okay. episode. So, no, exactly. Today's episode is on one of Martin's favorite hipster subjects, <laughs> namely containers and also orchestration. Hang on, I thought we um, did frameworks. Exactly. We, we actually, as a matter of fact, we did operating system level virtualization, of which okay. containers yeah, are an yeah. important part. Yes. Speaking of which, Martin, uh, you want to give a short recap of the of the of the of the previous episode? Well, we talked about uh, operating system virtualization. Excellent. <laughs> That's a very short recap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, of course, that's a that's a that's a very bold teaser to download the previous episode. I think it's 50, 50, 52 or something. I mean, details maybe in the show notes. <laughs> it's fifty eight. So if it's the previous one. 50, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. It was. It's one of the previous episodes anyway. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and the and the long and short of it is essentially, essentially that we kind of gave an overview of the different operating system uh, level virtualization approaches mm. of 
which containers are probably the most recent addition to that zoo and probably also the most en vogue ones because everybody's using containers. You actually see this if you take a look at... Well, you say everybody, but you mean like hipster developers, right? No, you see, if it, it, which is funny because if you take a look at any viable, any, any popular project on GitHub, <clears throat> database, whether it's a piece of midway software um, or, or something else that requires a little bit of insulation effort. Chances are that as part of the quick start, you have a Docker file that you that you can use to set up your container. Yeah. But so you don't have to install the stuff manually indeed, on, indeed. On, on, a, on a on a virtual machine or something like this. You just download the Docker file, then you invoke it, you build the image. If it's not kind of readily available on 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 Docker on on the on the Docker Hub, mm. and then you have a running container, and then you can start to play around with Redis, Mongo, Couchbase, and other NoSQL databases are probably the most prominent examples in this space. Not too sure if you if you followed Redis Conf, Martin. Uh, no, no. Does it still no. exist? Yes, it does. Okay. And, and Redis released something called Redis Stack. Yes, which is of course available. Marketing, marketing blurb from some exactly, some woman and that which... is of course available <laughs> as a as a as a container. Okay, a very small stack. Okay, fair enough. Yep. Um, oh, it's, it's however, <laughs> yeah, blatant teaser. <laughs> I'm still working for Redis. You mean you, you mean a marketing plug, not a tease. <laughs> and people just use a favorite search, and the Redis stack essentially is a combination of open source Redis, as you find it on GitHub, plus all the modules that come with Redis. But enough of marketing. But enough of the of the, of the marketing thing. Today's episode is not just about containers, but rather about orchestration approaches on top of containers. Yes. Because as we all know, containers being the hipster rating system level virtualization approach of today, of rather recent times, running containers in themselves is not enough because essentially the idea is to have, and that goes hand in hand with this whole microservices thing, uh, because the idea is to have a container per, micro, per, per, per microservice. So the idea is to package any supporting uh, infrastructure that you need, like middleware, databases, queues, uh, and other components that make up your ordinary or normal app stack as containers, leading to probably quite a few containers over time, depending on how you structure or restructure your existing application stack. So in contrast to previous times, where you simply had a code monolith, like your few gigabytes of compressed Java virtual machine bytecode executable, <laughs> uh, which you then would simply days, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, which you would simply put on a computer and then pray uh, that it would work. <laughs> These days, you have about a hundred million little containers all doing their own thing, but they of course need monitoring, deployment. You maybe want to scale these deployments up and down depending on your workload, on your traffic on these containers, all the rest of it. So the days where you would simply set up a container manually and shove it into VM or on, on, on into a cloud or on, on bare metal are simply gone, especially if you're talking about real production environments 
that carry real workloads. Indeed. Okay. So this is where you're going to have some examples of orchestration frameworks. Well, Kubernetes comes to mind, no? It's one of these hipster things that have been pushed severely by our favorite search engine company called Google. And well, it, about, it used to, yes. But, uh, about yeah, but most, three, most of these people now work for VMware, by the way. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a bold exaggeration, Martin. Because I think because I think Google is still a hundred thousand employees strong, maybe maybe sixty or well, something. Well, that's, that's not not the Google. They keep team, hiring Kubernetes people. Yeah, okay. The um, oh, sorry, I thought maybe you yes. meant Google in, in general. Okay. Well, Kubernetes. I don't know actually. Sure. How is Google doing? It's, they seem to be a bit quiet these days. Well, the the last quarter was apparently wasn't that great, but hmm. uh, this is just your know, this is just your ordinary dip, I reckon. In, in, okay. In, in, in the, the, in the downturn of the cloud, everybody's going back to on-premise. Yeah. Uh, if you say so, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, actually, a lot of people haven't left yet. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, Kubernetes, <laughs> as many other frameworks, is open source, so I'm not too sure where the contributors come from. GitHub probably will, get, will be able to tell you. But anybody can cont- can can contribute to good uh, to, to yeah no I was, t- I was talking about the original founders of Kubernetes like uh, okay and Craig McLucky and they but, went to VMware uh, why they did they did because we are one of the biggest contributors to Kubernetes obviously um, anyway of course it's, not for VMware it's a yeah but anyway we're not just talking about VMware and Redis we're talking about. Container orchestration. Uh, no, exactly, exactly. Um, before we move on to Kubernetes, what other orchestration options are there for people? Well, there's there? there's a couple of obsolete ones. Okay. <laughs> Docker like... Swarm comes to mind. <laughs> Sorry, Docker Swarm was well. Docker. I mean, I came across one company mm. that actually uses Docker. Still use Docker Swarm these okay. days. Uh, but they have been the Docker shops for at least six, seven years, maybe eight, mm. and invested heavily into the, into the technology. But all the but all the other companies that I that I that I know that used to use uh, Swarm, they essentially migrated to Kubernetes. I mean, the the approaches are pretty much the same. Mm, cool. You're looking at frameworks that can set up a cluster, can scale deployments up and down, can mm. manage containers. Well, it's also the, the service access and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, exactly, and the notions on top. Yeah. The configuration aspects, uh, things comparable to kind of classical configuration management databases, CMDBs. Mm. Uh, security, I mean, aspects like, like, yeah. like authentication, namespaces, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the things that you find in Swarm, that you find in Mesos, that you find in, in data center OS, but also in Kubernetes, because what I'm saying. But it's probably fair to say that Kubernetes is the most popular one at the moment, hmm. which is interesting because Kubernetes strives heavily, or strives heavily rather, to, uh, to standardize things. You can see this actually if you take a look at what's happening under the hood, because Kubernetes, for example, as probably quite a few listeners know who have looked at that technology, is container technology agnostic, meaning mm-hmm. you can use any OCI compliant as an open container initiative, mm-hmm. OCI compliant container framework, 
Uh, yep. The default one is, of course, Docker. Uh, well, it was, but, um, I, but I, I, I see a lot of people moving over to container D now. Um, Sorry, if you um, <laughs> my mistake. If you use any any quick start thing like Minikube, but we're going to go into that in a minute. Minikube. Uh, or Cube <laughs> or whatever. Um, as in Kubernetes. Who runs Minikube in production? Hang on a minute. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Martin. <laughs> I must have missed something. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick start and easy entries to Kubernetes. Ah, they okay. normally use Docker as the go-to default container. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I was approach. talking about production deployments. Yeah. Mm. But still, I know. I mean, I don't know that many people that that run very different technologies. I mean, uh, cryo is becoming more and more the norm. Uh, in, in contrast to Docker, but Cryo essentially is a stripped-down version, if I'm not completely mistaken, of a previous Docker version. As in just oh, the man. stuff that you need in don't order to in anybody, really. um, to, to create containers, to, to manage containers, essentially, under the hood. Mm. Well, it's, it's, I mean, most of the time... No, that's, as, as a runtime, is, uh, most people seem, uh, what I've seen is he's moving to container D now, but... Um, Oh, anyway, uh, it's um, a detail. We're talking about orchestration at the moment. Yep. Yeah. Well, well um, container D is, is OCI compliant too. You can, you yeah, can yeah. use any OCI compliant mm -hmm. co container runtime. Probably um, cryo stands for container runtime something. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. That would be sensible. Um, yeah. So where were we anyway? You were just wanted to. You you were just going to explain what Kubernetes is and why the other why the other frameworks have fallen into ah Libyan. Um Yeah, so uh, I mean, I used to use Docker Compose a fair bit, which is quite nice. But that's just the pure <coughs> purely the deployment part. So it allows you to you know set up your cluster with multiple containers and do the networking and all that kind of stuff. Um, but um, that's not enough, right? You want scaling and port failover and you want load balancing and all this kind of stuff. Um, which was Kubernetes gives you the uh, one one annoying thing on the, as a side note about Kubernetes is their uh, rather frequent release cycle. But um, in my opinion, <laughs> that's probably something to do with the product maturity as well. Um, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Most people would consider that to be a dick at Kubernetes, no? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, every six months, okay. I think I thought so. almost every quarter or something like this. No? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very. You're right. It's, it's, um, uh, I mean, take, you know, uh, 122, right? That was released say a month uh, ago uh, yeah a month no, ago no can't be because that was 123 uh, sorry the, the, the latest. okay let, let's say the latest um, 122 so 1228 was released in the 16th of march is end of life in october <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's probably a, just a bug fix update because i think the, the last version and we're recording this hmm. in april uh, was I think one twenty three, but maybe I'm completely off here. Oh yeah, the latest one is one twenty three. Yeah, which um, uh, released in March too, I think, if I'm completely mistaken. Yes. 
So the um, uh, one seven three one was no 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 one seven three one was um, uh, end of twenty twenty one. So that's see okay. about a year. So the patch that's probably something that's probably something yeah. called L- or comparable to long term support release as an LTS. Mm. It's a, it's like, a, a year, right? Like like Jammy, our favorite, our favorite <clears throat> LTS coming from Canonical, mm. which has just been released a couple of of, the, of, the, of days ago, actually, of days ago, actually. Yeah. So, Martin, if you, if you want to update your LTS box, now's the time. No, actually, yeah. you have to wait. If you're um, still running twenty oh four, you have to wait until twenty 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 two one drops, which is probably around August. Okay, I can wait. But, That's fine. But this is not you. This is not the Ubuntu podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> no it's not actually today. Linux in laws. Exactly. Yeah. Not today. Um, so go. So going back, going hmm. back to Kubernetes. What? What are to these orchestration uh, frameworks or for containers? I mean, what are probably the most prominent challenges with running these millions of containers in production? Uh, it's mainly having to deal with YAML, in my opinion. <laughs> Well, I'm Mr. Well, I'm... <laughs> no, it's not Jason. No, it's not scaling up and down. It's not fault tolerance. It's not high availability. No, 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 exactly. yeah. <laughs> the most annoying part is YAML. <laughs> well, Mark, yeah. if you have to hear, you can <laughs> chase me if you choose to do so. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, some 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 minor uh, <coughs> inconveniences of Kubernetes apart. There is obviously the, uh, for, the, yes. the, for, the oh, for the two listeners who are not familiar with Kubernetes is what this joke was all about. Okay, <laughs> um, um, guys, there are kind of oh, gals also as in people. Mm, there are two mm, approaches. People. If you use yeah, if if you're using Kubernetes, there are two approaches. Uh, you can tell either Kubernetes on the command line what to do. Or you can, and this is the imperative mode. I always get confusing them. And there's another, exactly. This is the this is called the imperative mode. And there's another approach to to configuring containers, as in telling Kubernetes what to do. And that's called the the, the declarative mode, which uses manifest files. Mm-hmm. And these manifest files, as Martin is that the M in YAML? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> are mostly written in YAML. <laughs> Um, um, and of course, yeah. it's manifest basically tell Kubernetes how to start a container, where to get the image from, what to do once once it has started a container, how many replicas there should be for a container, all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And this yeah, is so, so, um, yeah. before you move on to replicas. Yeah. Uh, yes. What does YAML stand for, Martin? Yet another markup language or something? Hmm. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yep, that sounds right. Um, anyway, before we move on to YAML, so yeah, if, if okay, you uh, running a container on a, as a single object or, or runtime is fine. Um, but when you are running in production, you may want to run this on multiple machines. So Kubernetes has the concept of worker nodes where um, so-called pods can be deployed giving you scalability and, in some cases, better availability of applications. 
I couldn't have put it better, Martin. I mean, the the whole idea of containers, especially in mm. these in these orchestration frameworks, is essentially you're looking at a throwaway unit mm. because if a container dies, ah, yes, yes, and no, but yeah, carry um, on. <laughs> we'll come sorry, on Martin, you, you want to finish that sentence? By all means, just go ahead. <laughs> so a container is born and then dies, and what happens then, Martin? Mm. Then, Kubernetes will start up another one somewhere else if, if it's yes. depending on its, its YAML configuration. But yeah, the, the, that was the original concept behind it, right? It's, uh, it's this throwaway, this, it's, uh, what's the term? It's, um, it's, it's ca- cattle instead of pets, isn't it, right? So it's, um, you can have as many as you want to, and when you don't need them anymore, you just shoot them in the head kind of scenario or something. That's the, that was the idea behind Kubernetes. But then people wanted to also run databases in there, which obviously doesn't work which so well. Which wasn't bad idea from the beginning. It <laughs> <laughs> was kind of uh, contrary to the concept of the whole thing. <laughs> but this is, of course, my personal opinion. Uh, yes. Yeah. I know. Jo- jokes aside, I mean, the, the problem starts, of course, with, for example, if you have containers that want to talk to each other. So why don't why don't we go through a very high level description of Kubernetes to give the listeners some ideas of what we're looking at? The whole thing that that Martin has just kind of already alluded to. Well, containers live in pods. So a pod is essentially a collection of containers. The important thing to remember about a pod in in Kubernetes is that a pod is only confined to a cluster node. You can have more than one node in a cluster. You probably need this. But, yeah, nodes, yeah they're, they're called workers in Kubernetes, aren't they? Um, correct. Yes. Which is, uh, it, it, so if, it's, it's not a physical, uh, it's not a physical machine. You could have multiple that, Kubernetes workers on a, on a yeah. single machine as well and so on. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, BM, it's an abstraction. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, there's also a master, which is typically the first node that you set up in a Kubernetes cluster. And of course, the beauty is, that you can roll your own. There's something called there the quick start things called Minikube, Cube ADM, and some other and some other approaches that give you basically a cluster out of the box with either a couple of VMs or a single node cluster can be set up with something called Minikube pretty quickly because it's all that Minikube does. It ins- on on your machine it, it installs a hypervisor if it's not already present. And then it downloads a couple of containers that make up a single node Kubernetes cluster. And that's all. Mm-hmm. So, so going back to these pods, the thing mm. is, of course, if containers want to talk to each other, you have an issue because if a container can disappear randomly, and that's exactly what these orchestration frameworks look after, among other things, these containers or the other containers, the remaining ones, shouldn't be necessarily aware of this. So mm-hmm. one of the first things that actually come to mind when you think of and is also a network abstraction layer. That is typically known as a service in Kubernetes because that adds network functionality on top of pods. That allows you to access pods in, in the cluster, on different, maybe also on different nodes, but also, very importantly, these pods can be then accessed via services from the outside of the cluster. Hmm. Especially important if you're running applications outside your Kubernetes deployment. Well, oh, hang on a minute. You're running applications outside your Kubernetes deployment? Yes. Wasn't the whole idea to put them all into Kubernetes? Well, that, that depends. I mean, oh, if you okay. have this <laughs> general ledger that has been running on a mainframe, 
For you the probably last... don't want to put that into Kubernetes. Yes, no. <laughs> but for some reason, that the, the, the general ledger has to talk to some fancy hipster marketing application framework for uh, whatever reason that runs in the container. Yes, of course, he would need access to hmm. this uh, um, to this container stack to the, to this container base stack rather running in Kubernetes from the outside, mm-hmm. and that's exactly where where things like services come into play. Other yes. section regard storage, because as the listeners of the previous episode on operating system virtualization will recall, containers are thermal, meaning you start up a container, and unless you have taken explicit provisions, all the memory that a container contains is gone once you destroy the container. Yeah. That's the reason why typically modern container frameworks such as Docker allow you to, to, for example, to mount volumes from the outside. If you start a Docker container and then you tell it to mount a volume, that cont- the application or the processes running in that container then have access to the local file system of the supporting operating system, meaning that any data can be stored outside the container if this is stored on the mounted volume path. So Kubernetes has something called persistent volumes that exactly look after this persistent storage. And in that notion or in that context, there is a so-called persistent volume, persistent volume claim, PVC, that actually tells Kubernetes, now I, I need some storage on a device. Simplify. So um, I have a question for you. Why is it called a claim? Why are we claiming storage? Because claims can be denied. Okay. They shouldn't. <laughs> That's a bit kind of inconvenient if you um, need it. <laughs> indeed. Uh, the, the reason why it's called a claim is essentially that you can parameterize the whole thing. Hmm. In terms of you are not bound to a particular volume because a PVC refers to, a, an ex, to an existing, ideally, persistent volume. And then that persistent volume tells Kubernetes where to, where to find the storage, what nodes to involve, and all the rest of it. This is the idea behind separating claim from an actual persistent volume as such. Yeah. That's another kind of uh, main concept with, with Kubernetes is really um, every request uh, is a state um, change request, isn't it? It's... Um, uh, it's, it's not a, um, uh, let's say, a, um, similar to your volume claim, you're asking for for Kubernetes to do a state change. And so it's all uh, asynchronous um, and will come back when it's uh, changed that state, basically. So, <laughs> yes. Um, there, there, there's something very important, exactly what mm-hmm. Martin was referring to, is is a state change on the so-called control plane of Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. Con- the control plane is essentially an API server that keeps the state of the cluster consistent at all times, or at least tries to, and that control plane is supported by two entities on the worker nodes called a kubelet and a kube proxy. The kubelet essentially controls all of the things going on on a cluster node, like creating what Sorry, what is that, uh, did you explain what a kubelet is? Yes, I was just about to. Okay, sorry. 
<laughs> just checking. So, just checking. So, so, so a cube basically. Imagine, mm -hmm. imagine the imagine the the creation of a of an of a, of a so-called deployment. Essentially, a deployment tells Kubernetes what containers to use or what containers an application consists of and how these containers should be scheduled. Hence, the notion of a deployment that corresponds to a replica set, to ports, and all the rest of it. It's essentially, it's it's a combination of, of a couple of ports as in containers, as a, a network as in service, and some other things, like replica sets that allow you to scale ports accordingly while they're running, by the way. So essentially, when Kubernetes is accepting deployment, what happens in the <coughs> background is the control plane will accept this request, will then go out to the worker nodes, will create the containers that make up the ports, and then will create the services, the replica sets, and all the rest of it, until it has reached the state that is defined in the in the deployment and then it considers the, the deployment to be created. And for this, you need something called a kubelet running on each and every cluster node that, for example, takes care of, con of the local creation of the containers by talking to the container runtime, whether it's Cryo, whether it's, whether it's Docker, whether it's Rancher, because all of these uh, container runtimes, as long as they're OCI compliant, are as in, sorry, the open container initiative, that's the standardization body behind, behind this, behind this interface can, uh, that, uh, well, conform to these OCI things. So essentially, the kubelet then knows how to spin up containers. The kubelet also knows how to talk to the local operating system running on the nodes in order to, for example, create services. Because mm -hmm. under the hood, essentially what it does, it creates a local space. In collaboration with container with the container uh, runtime, and then in the case of Linux-based containers, for example, it takes care of creating the network entities by, for example, using IP tables. So it creates a couple of virtual network layers on top of the existing operating system visible network, and then you have fabric controllers like Flannel and so forth, also adding another layer of abstraction on the existing network stuff in order to address namespaces. A namespace in Kubernetes is essentially a collection of abstractions like deployments, like persistent volumes, persistent volume claims, pods, services, you name it, and some other entities that are separated from other namespaces that allow you to rather easily segregate applications from one another. There are a couple of default namespaces in Kubernetes. When you set up a Kubernetes cluster, you have at least two default namespaces. One, funny enough, called default, yes. And the other one is called cube system. And this okay, cube system yes. namespace hosts all the infrastructures, funny enough, also running in containers that Kubernetes needs internally to control cluster nodes, control the, the control plane, make the control plane work, and also take care of the API server now and all the rest of it. So if you set up a Kubernetes cluster, if you simply take a look at Kube system, this is your Kubernetes system running on the on the master node and all of the worker nodes. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, if, uh, if Kubernetes doesn't start up properly, the first thing I normally do, I take a look at the 
at the entities in Cube system to make sure that, for example, all of the containers that make up Kubernetes in their ports in Cube system are up and running. Because a little bit technical now, Kubernetes Are you uh, running your own Kubernetes, by the way? Just for fun. Because okay. sorry, Martin, because I can because I can. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> you could just Martin, go to Amazon yeah. or, or Google and it's on one of the Kubernetes distributions. But A that costs money and B I have the hardware already, so why buy a hyperscaler? Ah, okay. Fair enough. Um full disclosure people, Martin is the hands off type of the two of us. I'm more the hands on type. Martin I, I, I likes to simple if I, if I don't exactly. Have <laughs> Martin likes to talk about PowerPoint slides. Um, what is and, and, and fans, that doesn't sound very and, open source. <laughs> Sorry, sure, sure you office. Mean open office. <laughs> yes. So Martin likes to likes to impress people with impress slides. Aha, impressed. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're getting somewhere, exactly. So Martin also likes to hand out PDFs to, <clears throat> to, to, uh, to the people listening to him. These, these PDFs contain glossy, marketing-oriented content aimed at business people <laughs> and other interests and, and, and other people having a new life. Sounds very much like you're describing, describing your own job, though, Chris. <laughs> No, my job is actually uh, ah. to make things to make things happen. Basically, that people like you promised. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm 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 the opposite. So you give different environment like a virtual machine, and I make things happen. So hasn't really changed. No jokes aside, people, um, setting up a Kubernetes deployment, especially if you want to start, if you want to get going on that technology, is straightforward. That already I kind of already mentioned Minikube. Minikube, as I said, is a five-minute job, and then you have your single, and then you have your single cluster, single node cluster. Sorry, of Kubernetes run up and running on your MacBook Pro, on your Linux machine. I think even on Windows, if I'm completely completely mistaken. So what I did recently in order to staff my playground, if you will, in terms of um, populate my playground. Uh, just to have a couple of cluster nodes, I essentially, because I had nothing better to do, I took one of the laptops uh, that, that that actually was running, I think, Ubuntu or Debian, put two VMs on it, or actually three VMs with KVM, which comes natively with the kernel, as a kernel virtual machine. There's a handy toolset called libvirt. is running on at the moment. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a handy abstraction there called libvirt hmm. that Takes care of the of the of the command line interface into KVM and other and hyper, and other hypervisors. Then basically, I had a set of three VMs, and then I use simply Cube ADM. And links will be in the show notes. Essentially, the way you do it, you create using the first VM. You download the software to the first VM. You create the cluster that makes the that first VM the cluster master, and that basically gives you a single node. Kubernetes cluster. As part of this Cube ADM installation, you get something called a secret. You go to the remaining two nodes, or I went to the remaining two VMs and executed QBM there, uh, Cube ADM there, simply giving that secret to the to the installer, and then pointing Cube ADM at the existing first node, and within about twenty minutes. I had my three-node 
Kubernetes cluster up and running on one of my laptops. It's not that difficult. And then I have a three-node so Kubernetes cluster. So what is running on this Kubernetes cluster? Anything. That <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I just needed a, I just needed a playground for a couple of things. Ah, uh, but rather than going to a hyperscaler like Google, like like Azure, or like like the bookshop, and paying money for this because I had the hardware sitting in a, in a on on a shelf doing nothing anyway, ah. I simply did it on a laptop. Okay, well, you heard it here first. You don't need fancy hardware to run Kubernetes on your laptop. <laughs> I mean, exactly. If you if a, if a single cluster, no, if a single node cluster is sufficient, just just use Minikube. I mean, Minikube does it all for you. Uh-huh. And getting this up and running, as I said, is a five minute job. Okay. Any other container frameworks you'd like to discuss? You mean orchestration frameworks? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, well, you're, well, you're such a really swarm, but what the should we touch on OpenShift, actually? Well, in that case, we might as well explain operators and ham charts. <laughs> <laughs> Joking. No, uh, what, what is OpenShift, Martin? I mean, you're the, you're the Red Hat fanboy, right, of the two of us? No. You're not? I thought you no. were. <laughs> I don't know if Red Hat has any fanboys. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you're a Red Hat fanboy, oh, please write, write to us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, email addresses, <laughs> feedback, and in-laws in of the U, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Red Hat, uh, yeah, sorry, OpenShift. The idea behind OpenShift, essentially, is to package, and correct me, Martin, if I'm wrong, because I haven't used OpenShift in ages, mm-hmm. to package a certain functionality on top of the native carbon heaters deployment and sell this as a shrink wrap product. And that's exactly what um, Red Hat used well, to be anyway. OpenShift is also an open source project, right? Um, so, so yes, obviously there's the, the Red Hat version, but there's also the <coughs> open source, open shift um, project. So what's um, the and, and yes, it uses Kubernetes underneath. Yeah. Yes, I mean, what's what's the difference then beyond this fancy web UI that you get with OpenShift and the different command line interface, which is mostly compatible to to native Kubernetes, if I'm completely mistaken. Yeah, I think it's more um, the, a higher level of abstraction again, where you can define um, application templates and things like that, right? So, so if uh, if, if you remember in um, in the Redis days, <laughs> Redis Labs, as it was then called, uh, yes, yes. For example, you could have. Um, uh, you know, uh, sing, single node Redis is a template, or a, uh, a three no, three pod Redis with HA, etc. As, as different templates, so that no, well, yes. <clears throat> rather than for for as as we previously mentioned, people having to write a bunch of YAML to to d- decide what kind mm-hmm. of uh, Redis cluster they wanted, so they just pick the template and click a button. So it's more slightly. Uh, let's say uh, more more user friendly than a uh, a bear. Which, yeah, which which is not too far off from something called a headshot. If current law is anything to go, because exactly that's more or less what a helm chart gives you. A helm chart, mm. like OpenShift, it's, it's I, I would compare it to a distribution. Let's put it this way, because a helm chart is essentially a package manager for Kubernetes. Mm. You point it to a repo. That repo has. Well, yes, templates probably would come would come close in Helm in, in Helm they're called Helm charts. But these Helm charts essentially tell Kubernetes 
how to instantiate, say, mm. for example, a database instance, how many replicas this has, uh, what the deployment looks like, how, av how availability is configured, how the volumes are, are configured and all the rest of it. That's exactly a helm chart. That's exactly a helm chart. In addition yeah. to this, yeah, true. Uh, Carbonitis, as far as I know, since version 16, 12, maybe I'm, I'm completely wrong, How has much? the notion of an operator. Mm, indeed. Where an operator, in comparison to a native Helm chart, has much more lifecycle functionality built into it. For example, comes in handy if well, you have uh, a Before you um, move on to that, what is, a, yes. uh, what is an operator? An operator is essentially, it's a... It's a package. It's a, it's well. It's a package and deployment description it's a bunch or definition, of code, right? Yeah. It's, it's sorry. Yes. It's a bunch <laughs> of code. Helm chart is in more like language normally. And ah, Martin, I've never written an operator, so you tell me huh. probably something fancy like it's it's usually Go. YAML? That's that's Go. The, okay. The, that's the native, Go. Um, uh, the native Kubernetes language, right? But, um, and you've read this on a, on one of your impress slides. No, 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 no. We we built many <laughs> operators over here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, as a matter of fact, you can. So, you if can you want write... to go to the next level, write your own operator for your own application. Yeah. Uh, you can, people. Of course, you can write operators in any language as long you as can, you, you adhere to to a REST-based API, because exact, that's exactly what the what Kubernetes implements. So, as long as you have something that can talk REST, uh, operators are not too far off. Because essentially, at the very bottom of the definition, operator is just an SDK. That allows yeah. lifecycle aspects to be implemented. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fair enough. Martin, of course, disagrees. <laughs> it's fine. Yes. Well, we can stick with SDK. <laughs> uh, Martin, you're more than you're more than welcome to contribute any any more any any further technical details to the show notes. Okay. So, so that people can do their own app operator implementation. Yes, yes. No, no jokes, jokes aside, Martin is of course right when he says it's, it's, it's a little bit more than just a Helm chart. Because for example, billing is baked right into the operator definition, which comes in handy if you're a hyperscaler, because at the end of the day, you want to bill your customers for any deployment that you run on your, on, on your infrastructure. Needless to say, also if you are a service organization, Within the company, you probably want to bill your lines of business for the services that you supply. And one of the ways to do this, if a, if a line of business wants to deploy, say, an application that consists of a couple of, of, uh, of ports and has networks, uh, network services running on top of that and all the rest of it. So they basically uh, tell the DevOps people then to write an operator definition that basically takes care of implementing this service. And then also has billing baked into it so that the, that the operational organization essentially can charge for this deployment. Being part of the lifecycle aspects of this operator SDK definition. Um, yeah. So, so you'll find most, uh, well, most, uh, many commercial, uh, piece of software will have developed an operator to deal with Say Postgres or Redis or RabbitMQ, whatever it is, right? It's, it's the it's the, uh, the the best way to lifecycle those kind of products on um, on a Kubernetes uh, cluster, indeed. Um, and needless to say, you can get pre-authored operators on places like GitHub or in places like GitHub too. 
I mean, for example, I can record at least one Redis operator for Kubernetes being on GitHub. I think it's either from mm. Amadeus or some other company where okay. they simply open source their, their operator deployment. Yeah, you so can find many, many open yeah. source implementation for Postgres or for uh, RoadMQ or Databand Redis. But, um, mm. but it's, uh, yeah, so typical things that an operator needs to do is, is you know, all the standard um, things like uh, provision databases and back them up and all those kind of things that um, absolutely come with these uh, types of software. So, uh, yeah, operators are bespoke to the type of application that they are built for. Anything else we should talk about? Anything else we should talk about? Anything? So the, the road, about yeah, the road forward. The road what's forward. In, what's in store for container orchestration frameworks? Well, uh, that's a good question. Well, the only thing that I see is that everybody is busy, um, let's say, uh, refining their operators. Uh, Kubernetes itself, they have cracked most of the problems around, um, you know, the, the, the stateless, stateful sets and replica sets and things like that. Um, is there, have you looked at the roadmap? I don't know what's on the roadmap, to be honest. Well, um, not in a the, in the, in the great level of technical detail. I was, re I was mm. referring to the big picture, of course. I mean, it's probably okay. a fair assumption to say that Kubernetes and friends, mm. dissimilar to things like OpenStack, won't go away anytime soon. That's probably a fair assumption. Sorry, did you mention OpenStack? I did indeed. What did you say about OpenStack? It's not going away anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is similar to OpenStack because ah, dissimilar. <laughs> okay, dissimilar. Yes, no, 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 I mean, unlike <laughs> I came across customer the other day was running OpenStack still. So. Uh, yes, you you will find a few telcos here and there that still uh, yeah. on OpenStack, but in general, OpenStack has more than more often than not disappeared. Hmm. As I said, isolated environments like like telcos, sometimes financial service institutions do run OpenStack. But funny enough, when they talk about these internally, they more, they, they more often use the term legacy than not. <laughs> and there's a reason yeah. for this. Um, so it's fair to say, yeah, Kubernetes is the way ahead. What you will see more and more are also is also the proliferation from Kub of, of Kubernetes to something called the edge. In mm. terms of Kubernetes is making its way into embedded systems more and more. Why? Because containers are lightweight. Yes, but okay, and okay, yeah. Martin, of course, doesn't agree. <laughs> no, I mean the, the idea is the idea is to extend the realm of, say, a a deployment beyond the bricks and and mortar walls of your local data center or a hyperscaler in general. It's an interesting um, uh, idea. I guess on your embedded no, device, you could. It's, run it's, ha it's happening. Things. It's happening right now. People are moving away from heavy virtual machines in embedded computing to actually something called Kubernetes. No, 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 yes, okay. Running containers is fine, but actually running a whole Kubernetes cluster on an embedded device seems a bit overkill. Well, a, red, a Raspberry Pi sets you back, I think, forty dollars, thirty euros, something like this. Yeah, but so okay, so what, uh, fine. You run Kubernetes on an embedded device, and then. Your embedded device fails. So how are you going to fail over? Right? It doesn't really make any sense. So, 
um, it's a clustered deployment after all. Why would you run that on a single piece of embedded hardware? No, you, you don't run on a single piece. You run it on a couple of cluster nodes. Ah, okay. Which is the, which is made up from embedded. Devices. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yes, it took it, it took it took some time, but yes, that's exactly what I meant. Okay. And you see this happening as we speak. Okay. <laughs> if you take a look at any telco, uh, if, especially mobile operators, the likes of Verizon in the US, the uh, likes of yeah, if we're talking embedded devices here, we're talking about um, some. Reasonable sized room in a cell tower, right? Not 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 the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. Uh, no, we're talking we're talking uh, we're talking about computers running on on transceivers. We're talking okay. about computers running as part of a fleet management deployment. That sort of thing. Ah, fair enough. And more and more, you actually see Kubernetes-based container deployments in these in this embedded space because of scalability. 5G is helping a lot, of course, like powerful mobile networks. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and, yeah, another and... thing that um, uh, I see in my day-to-day around Kubernetes is that um, people are, are running more and more um, separate Kubernetes grids rather than just one big one. Um, True. So, so, yeah, rather than... Um, Kind of as a, um, which uh, which makes sense because it does. at the end of the day, hybrid deployments, as in hybrid, of course, meaning that portions of your workload is running in a, in a public cloud infrastructure or private virtual virtual private cloud infrastructure, and the rest is probably running on premises for whatever reason. Compliance comes to mind, and all the rest of it. In that case, Kubernetes, as multiple Kubernetes deployments come it comes in ha- it come in handy because essentially you put them, you put your separate deployments into separate namespaces or even separate clusters. But because of the standardized approach that Kubernetes brings to the table, they can still talk to each other mm-hmm. because we're looking at standard APIs that are highly interoperable. And of course, the the things that Kubernetes natively brings to the table are scalability, high availability, and 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 fail. Um, um, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, not failover, but yeah. Augmented reality? No. <laughs> uh, no high availability <laughs> and fault and fault tolerance. That, fault that tolerance. was what I was, uh. what, what I was looking for. So any. any Parting remarks before we go into the feedback and some other stuff. Uh, yeah, I have some parting remarks. Um, slightly on a marketing note, but it's quite—it's also quite interesting because I, I didn't, didn't I know, know this. Hey? <laughs> didn't I know this? No, no, but I didn't know these things either before I, I joined VMware. Was, um, so they have something called a Kubernetes grid, which manages multiple Kubernetes uh, clusters mm-hmm. uh, as well as um, a native uh, Kubernetes deployment in vSphere. So. That makes the move for adoption by your system and administrator slightly easier than than having to, you know, install it all from some scratch if they're not Chris Zimmerman mm. who uses it on a laptop. But it's <laughs> are, are um, people still using vSphere, okay? Oh yes, yeah, many, many, many people. <laughs> I see. I was surprised for sure. <laughs> Interesting. If you're if you're out there, if, if you're using vSphere <laughs> and if you're vMo, if, if you're using vMotion as an, if you if you consider yourself a VMware fanboy, uh, fan, <laughs> fanboy, 
please write to us. We would love to hear about you, especially Mark. <laughs> yeah, uh, not really. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I see. We, um, yeah, it, it is surprising how many people still... Uh, I mean, this is general related to the Kubernetes story, mm. right? It, uh, the number of people that are running this in large amounts in production are still in the minority, I would say. Um, okay. But yes, it will come. It will come. Okay, any, what about yourself? Any parting thoughts? Oh, we have feedback. Feedback. Yeah, sorry. Uh, feedback. Yes, I think I shed some light on my side of the story in terms of where I see Kubernetes is going. But, oh, okay. Um, I thought yeah, you did that already. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yes. yes. <Okay. laughs> Confusion about. Anyway, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't uh, matter. Going forward. Feedback. Yes. Feedback. Yes. 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 yes, yes. So I have one here that's yeah. specifically addressed to you um, from someone called the USB Trader. Um, thank you for requesting a quote. You have four unread messages from Yvonne. Read now, blah, blah, blah. Thanks, Chris. Uh, so this is... Yeah. I think I think you're confusing that with, with, your, with your spam mail. No, no, it's, it's uh, addressed at feedback. <laughs> is it? <laughs> Maybe my spam mail... <laughs> I spent a bit of this on already. Okay. On to a more serious feedback. <laughs> indeed, Martin, um, indeed. Do you want to do the next one? Yes. A guy called... I don't know. Which one are you reading? Um, I'm referring to the one that we got... 45? Sorry, a guy called Bitten, or a lady, posted uh, on Hacker Public Radio on April the 11th. More Europe-centric. Here in Europe, we have e EDRI. Mm. EDRI, exactly. And in Sweden and DRI, for example, that's DFRI. more European variants of EFF. And, of course, she's referring to the Georgia Ele Electronic Frontier episode, mm -hmm. if I'm not yep, yep, mistaken. Yep. And, of course, you're absolutely right, Bitten, but that episode was towards a more US-based audience. <laughs> no, jokes aside, absolutely. I mean, what we didn't mention in that episode, and of course, you're spot on, is that there are many, many, many similar organizations here in Europe as well and elsewhere. As you will find with other organizations centered on civil rights, liberty, civil liberties, uh, freedom of speech, you see this. You see this actually also in, in the software world. The Free Software Foundation has a has a European counterpart called the European Free Software Foundation. Funny enough. So yes, the EFF is by no means, as in the Electronic Frontier Foundation, is by no means world exclusive. Okay. You want to read the next one? Sure. Um, the one on nonprofits. Not the rest one. No, let's do the rest one last. Uh, oh, actually, that's not feedback anyway. Um, Non-profits, yes. So this is on episode 52. Um, comment by Clack. Clacky? Clack? Clacky, um, yes. Um, okay, he says, the nitty-gritty of U.S. non-profits. So this was the Zig episodes. Indeed, um, with Lois Crow, our friend. Yes, indeed. Look, Crow says in the episode that a 501c6 cannot accept donations. 
It can, but unlike a 501c3, the donation to a 6 is not tax-deductible as a charitable donation. More important difference is that a 501c3 is required by law to work for the public good, whereas a 501c6 is required to work for the good of its members. Uh-huh. Then he has a follow-up one. Uh, more in-depth discussion about the differences between public charities, 501c3, and trade associations, 501c6, by Bradley Kuhn, 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 who now for freedom. Exactly. So for uh, link in show notes. Uh, yes. So yes, uh, has been. And Martin, that reminds me. This is now the sixty ninth <coughs> comment right? that we got. That, that this, this the sixty ninth comment that we got on on five hundred one C's and sixes <laughs> and three and all that. So we yeah. should probably do an episode on U.S. nonprofits. Okay, I might be otherwise engaged on that day. <laughs> Feel free to carry on. <laughs> this is, of course, lame excuse. <laughs> Clucky, if if you listen, if you want to come on the show, simply send a short mail to feedback at you so that you can stand in for Martin if you can't make it on that day. <laughs> <laughs> no, just aside, Martin, what we should actually do is, and mm. this is quite serious now, we should probably spend an episode actually on, on US nonprofits because some of the stuff also applies to European uh, organizations and okay. the implications yeah, that these tax laws have on any serious nonprofits, especially in the world of so- in the in the world of software freedom, civil rights and all the rest of it. Yeah. No, okay. that's, that's... That's good. And we also got a post on, on feedback on episode 45. Hmm. Indeed. And that which was, was which one? That was me. That, of course, is an That's ancient episode. Is that the end of Yes, the that is the, exactly. That, is, that was the big Christmas hmm. New Year bash with the Grumpies. <clears throat> Our ah, beloved friends, yes, yes. How are the grumpies? And the and the feet, yes. Good question. Um, haven't yeah, haven't heard haven't heard from them in a while. Okay, okay. Anyway, the 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 comment reads like this: Love this show. Reminds me a little bit, a little bit of UDEF of the UDEF random podcast. This one had a lot of laughs. You you guys are my friends for now. Thank you. Mine won't for do now, anything. For now, what? For now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but, Better, better, better for now French, than never. Right? Okay. No, okay. And that is, of course, from our friend, the operator. Hmm. Also, if I'm not completely mistaken, frequent contributor to Hacker Public Radio oh, as in yeah. a host. Yes, 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 yes. Holidays are hard, and now I'm quoting again holidays are hard for some, most people. Shooting the shit and ranting my, are my fav podcast apps. Take care of yourselves. The you are the only you have. For, for the. All the people amongst us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Operator, thank you very much for your lovely feedback. Mm. We do appreciate that. And yes, keep them coming. Now, it's probably time for some, some boxes. Yeah. Do we? No, we don't need to talk about the rest of stuff. Good. Okay. Yeah. No. Poxes. Uh, yes. Okay. Why don't yes. you tell us what your poxes? Uh, my pox would be a, ha- a Hacker Public Radio episode. Okay. Did you have a chance to listen to this, Martin? I don't know. Which one? 
What are we talking about now? Uh, this is episode Hacker Public Radio, uh, Hacker Public Radio episode thirty five seventy seven. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Okay. What A lady that? called Sarah explains okay. how she got into computing, and this is the most hardcore thing I ever listened to. It's what, sorry? Sarah, it's it's the it's the most it it was flagged as explicit for a reason. Oh, okay. Um, people, people, if there's anything you, you want oh, to listen to in right. terms of hardcore, yes. Apart from another show marked as explicit, namely also known as the Linux In-Laws, this is the episode you should listen to. This is really hardcore. Sarah speaks about how she got into computing and some other rather gore or bloody things that I can't really talk about on the show. Links will be in the show notes. Sarah, if you're listening, we I love this episode, and I'm sure that once Martin has had a chance to listen to it, he'll love it too. So if you want if you want to come on the show, host an episode with us, you're more than welcome to. Please send a short email to feedback at linusinlaws.eu. Martin, what's your box then? Let's As in pick of the week. Ah, yes. Um, yeah. Good question. Pick of the week. You don't have um, any? I do, I do, but um trying to remember the name of it now. You mentioned Zelensky. Yes. Why would we? Why would he? I mean, I, I get the I get the idea behind the pox. Yes. I mean, if we're talking about the same Zelensky, who's currently trying mm. to rescue the free world. Yes. Is pox here? Fair enough. So you want to share some more thought on this, or should we leave it at that? <laughs> I, I think most people probably. <laughs> No, know enough about this. Yeah. Links, links will be in the show notes. Yes, he's of course. If or I'm just just watch the news instead. Yeah. What's he? He's he's what? He's the president, or he's the prime minister, or all rolled into one? Uh, prime minister, isn't he? No, president. Yes, yes, yes. He 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 runs a country called the Ukraine. Mm, he does. at the moment, I think. Or what's left of it? Yeah, indeed. So, what's his first name? Is it Zabedi or something like that? I can't even remember. So, Mr. Zelensky, if you're listening, full marks, mm. keep up the good work. Yes. And Martin and myself will and put an extra overtime to pay more taxes so that you get the kit that you need. Rest assured. And, and to any German listeners out there, stop taking showers. Yeah. <laughs> Martin has done this already. <laughs> no, 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 we don't have to. We don't import the did gas from Martin, Russia. <laughs> did, the, did, did the wife move out? What about yeah. the kids? Are they still living with you? <laughs> uh, our, our gas doesn't come from Russia. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. It comes from Scotland. <laughs> okay. Or so. we'll from the north. Fair enough. Anyway. So in that case, um, Martin, word of advice, do not annoy the Scots. Because if they cut you off, you won't be able to take showers. Yes, yes. Well, and more importantly, we won't be able to get their whiskey anymore. So. True, true, true. Very true, yes. Yeah. And with that, as usual, we'd like to thank again Ken Fallon mm. and the good people at Hack Public Radio for hosting us. Thank you yes. very much. And looking forward. And thanks for listening and looking forward to the next episodes. This is the Linux In-Laws. You come for... The knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.
this podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license, type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salute Margaret, to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. You find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> And we will have you on the show, and we will have you on the show in no in no, in no time. Right. Once again, cut, and we will and, and send it in, what, send an what? email to littleloss.eu, mm. and we will have you in the show notes in, in the show in no time. <laughs> we have to put them in the show first before we can put them in the show. <laughs> you have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.